But when God first chose a king for the people of Israel, he, he chose a king from the tribe of Benjamin. And the first Samuel chapter 9 does not try to obscure that. It emphasizes Saul's lineage. Verse 1 says there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherat, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And then verse 15, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Verse 21, Saul answered, I'm only a Benjaminite. From the least of the tribes of Israel, my family is the humblest of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. He's trying to get our attention with all these comments. Why did 1 Samuel highlight Saul's tribal affiliation? Now, it's not unusual. We already know that Samuel is from, he's at least living in the tribe of Ephraim. We knew that uh, Eli and his sons were from the tribe of Levi. So maybe we would just pass that over. But I suspect 1 Samuel's emphasis on Saul's lineage was not just a matter of routine. God's selection of a member of the tribe of Benjamin is not mere happenstance. It's really at the heart of the story. Now, the book which precedes 1 Samuel in the Hebrew arrangement of the First Testament is the book of Judges. Now, in our Bibles, Ruth is sandwiched in between there because Ruth happens during the time of the Judges, but that reflects the later Greek translation of the Bible and their arrangement. But in the Hebrew, 1 Samuel immediately follows Judges, and the book of Judges concludes with a terrible story about the total devastation of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you want to find out more than what I give you here, you can read Judges chapters 19 to 21. You'll get the whole story. It's a grisly tale, and I've cleaned it up for this morning, but it's important that we understand it because it is really the reason God chose a member of the tribe of Benjamin to be Israel's first king. The book of Judges records a disagreement between a Levite from the tribe of Ephraim and his concubine, which is a wife, but one that couldn't inherit. It's complicated. We won't get into that. She was from the tribe of Judah. They have a disagreement. She runs away and goes back to her family home. He visits her. He convinces her to come back with him. But he leaves late in the day when they finally leave, and so they have to find a place to spend the night. And he decides to stay in the town of Gibeah in Benjamin. We find out in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, that King Saul had a house in Gibeah. It's where his family was from. That choice of the Levite turned out to be a terrible decision. Upon their arrival, they're first taken in by a fellow Ephraimite who was living in Gibeah. But that night, the men of the city demanded that the man be put out into the street so that they could have their way with him. Instead, this is terrible, the Levite sent his concubine outside. They abused her all night, and by morning she was dead. In retribution, the Levites sent word of what had happened to the other 11 tribes of Israel, and you can imagine their response. They were furious. So they gathered an army from all the other tribes. They went down into the tribe of Benjamin, and they started telling the towns in Benjamin, we're going to Gibeah, and you need to let us have them. But the rest of the Benjaminites didn't take very kindly to that, and they all decided to defend Gibeah. And that led to war. We find the outcome here in, I think this is chapter 20 of Judges. Verse 35 says, The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the Israelites destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day, all of them armed. Then the Benjaminites saw that they were defeated. 
The Israelites gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted to the troops in ambush that they had stationed against Gibeah. The troops in ambush rushed quickly upon Gibeah. Then they put the whole city to the sword. 18,000 Benjamites fell in addition to the others, all of them courageous fighters. Meanwhile, the Israelites turned back against the Benjaminites and put them to the sword, the city, the people, the animals, and all that remained. Also, the remaining towns they set on fire. It's terrible, terrible. But that's not the end of the story. After the dust had settled, the Israelites realized that there were not enough people left in the tribe of Benjamin to ensure the survival of the tribe. And they mourned over this, and they came up with a terrible plan. They never consulted God about this. Remember, this is judges. People are just doing whatever they think is right. They came up with a plan to allow the men of Benjamin to kidnap the daughters of one town who didn't come and send any warriors for the war. And they allowed them to kidnap the women and make them their wives, which was their solution to preserving the tribe without overtly helping the Benjamites. Benjaminites. It's a grisly tale. But Saul was born out of it. I'd imagine that the people of Benjamin in the days of Saul were not well liked. Would you think? These events occurred not long before the birth of Samuel. In fact, some say that they probably happened during the life of Samuel. So this is not ancient history for the Israelites. When Saul said that the following to Samuel, he was referring to this history. This is verse 21. We didn't read it together, but here it is. Saul answered, I am only a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel, and my family is the humblest of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Now that you know the story, you understand why Saul is amazed that Samuel is going to anoint him. What does the choice of a person from Benjamin as Israel's first king tell us about God? It tells us that God has a special concern for the outsider, for the dispossessed, for the forsaken. Now, of course, God was not okay with the sins of the town of Gibeah. It was God who gave the other tribes victory over them, even though he didn't authorize how they did it. He did authorize them to go. But after this judgment and the overzealousness of the Israelites in battle and the deplorable kidnapping solution to ensure the survival of Benjamin, God showed mercy to Benjamin by choosing Saul. In the days of Saul, the tribe of Benjamin had been judged and it had been humbled. By the time Samuel encountered Saul, Benjamin had become the least important tribe in the entire nation. And Saul had accepted this reality. And as a consequence, he was a meek man. When he met Samuel, he wasn't looking for greatness or success. When Israel demanded a king, Benjamin didn't send any delegates. <laughs> he knew that they were not going to be considered. He was just looking for donkeys. That's all he was doing. There's no indication in the text that anyone in Benjamin thought that they had any chance of being chosen for leadership in Israel. And yet God chose to lift up the meekest of the tribes. Now Saul was tall and handsome, which would have made him look kingly to the people. But Saul did not walk tall. When he met Samuel, he called his tribe the least in Israel and his family the least in Benjamin. Later, we'll discover that when Samuel was leading the people and choosing a king, Saul was hiding among the supply tents, hoping he wouldn't be chosen. So he doesn't walk tall. In the choosing of Saul, God was lifting the status of the tribe of Benjamin. 
In many ways, the choice of Saul was a public declaration of God to the rest of Israel that he considered Benjamin's sins atoned for and Benjamin's judgment completed. In choosing Saul, God was inviting a fallen tribe back into the family of Israel by making the least now the greatest. This decision of God reveals so much about who God is, and this type of decision is not uncommon for God. In fact, God has done this over and over again. As I read this week, Psalm 37, verses 7 to 11, I just saw the story of Saul played out in it. This is what the psalm says. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Jesus commented, he quoted from this verse when he said the following in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And as the Apostle Peter learned from Jesus, he proclaimed the following in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-6, through 6, And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Saul was an example of a Benjamite who had humbled himself, who had accepted the judgment of God, and who had embraced the inferior status in Israel because of the sins of his forebears. And God exalted him and his tribe in due time. Several of Jesus' parables proclaim the consistency of this behavior on the part of God. Maybe one of the most familiar is the parable that we often call the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. But to my reading, few parables are clearer about God's heart in this respect than Jesus' parable of the laborers in the vineyard. We find it in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus said this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. 
in the choice of Saul as Israel's first king, in the choice of Jesus to offer additional opportunities to return to God to those on whom the rest of society had given up, in the command of Jesus for the offer of the gospel to be made to every nation on the earth, God is a God who seeks to restore what was broken, to remake what has been destroyed, and to bring hope where there really was only despair. As was true in Benjamin, God is a God of justice, and he will judge the sins of those who rebel against him. But God is also a God of restoration. For those who will turn from their sins, humble themselves, and seek no more than to be servants in God's house. God will lift them up in due time. You notice Saul did not defend his family's history, nor did he complain about the treatment he, has, he had received. When he encountered Samuel, Saul had so humbled himself that he expected nothing but humility all the rest of his days. There was no pride left in Benjamin for Saul. They did not defend their behavior. They didn't demand forgiveness. They didn't ask for restitution. And I suspect it was this very humility that led God to lift up the tribe of Benjamin in the person of Saul. Church, we must not let our sins or the sins of our forebears keep us from God's grace. We too should recognize that God is willing to lift us up no matter our past. All the Lord asks is that we turn from those sins, that we humble ourselves in remorsefulness before God and before any whom we might have hurt, and that we seek nothing more than to be a part of God's household. Saul had accepted his lot and his place. The day he encountered Samuel was a surprise to him. This is meekness, and it's humility, and these are qualities that God often wishes to honor. May it be so for all who wish to return to God. Amen.